I remember when we were first deciding to move overseas, we had a meeting with each of our four kids who were little at the time. Like I think our youngest was one year old and uh, one of the phrases that came out in the family meeting was we do hard things. So we're saying we are in a war-torn African country. Uh, we're being uh, ambiguous about the name of the country because there's very high persecution. And so the norm here is to kidnap, beat, and kill uh, Christians. So it's a uh, very serious thing. Regular prayer that we pray in the car as we leave in the morning is thank you God for one more day in this city because we never know when the last day will be. Why are we doing what we're doing? When I was a teenager, Bruce McAvoy was the youth pastor at Chapel Street and Jeff Frazier was the new senior high pastor at Chapel Street. There was just a deep conviction of who God is, who he is to me, and that I'm ready to go to the ends of the earth to do anything that he calls me to do. Our decision to move to this part of Africa was a statistical decision. There's dozens of unengaged people groups that no one was going to because of the persecution. Factions in this country are fighting uh, with each other. More than half a million people uh, have been internally displaced and, and have left their homes. There hasn't been good education in this country for a decade. Yeah, pe people fear for their safety. I, I remember I was, I was in a car uh, with a friend. He was new to this country and he had said, so Doug, what is the message that you think people most need to hear. And I thought about it for a while. Hope. The title, Hope School, was actually the idea of a Muslim business guy in the community who saw that we were doing Hope Camps, Hope Clubs, and parent trainings to teach resiliency skills for families. And he said, Doug, you have Hope Camps, you have Hope Clubs, you should have Hope School. He said, I have an 86,000 square foot facility that you can use rent-free this message of hope is what our community needs. We started Hope School this past September with 120 students, which by October was 180 students. We have about 20% of the building set up with classrooms. About 80% of the building still needs development. There's so much that can be done, but like we don't have kitchens we don't have refrigerators or microwaves like there's, there's certain pieces there's not things for the kids to play with at recess the mission is we want to bring hope 
and healing to traumatized families. And ultimately, we want them to develop a relationship with Jesus and follow Jesus. We believe each child has a unique God-given identity and special calling. We teach through different character traits, and each of those character traits line up with the fruit of the Spirit. Education so lines up with the Christian worldview that we can ask whatever question we want, uh, we can share whatever doubt we want, and that the answers will line up with our faith. And we believe if in this culture we develop a generation that learns to think critically, this is going to cause a seismic shift in how they approach who God is. As we do hard things, we kind of feel weak, but in that, God shows himself to be strong. And in doing hard things, we have experienced way more joy, way more of a sense of who God is and connection with him. This has been our hardest year ever. It's also been our most fulfilling, joyous year of significance. I had a meeting with Doug last week and I told him, I said, in that video when your daughter sort of rolls her eyes and turn, I said that is universal friend like that <laughs> and uh, um, so just as an update um, Doug and Carrie and the ministry that they have in Africa um, our goal is to raise $500,000 to help equip this school um, and we know that is that is by far the largest goal we have ever set at Advent and up so far, about $200,000 has come in, which is amazing. We're incredibly grateful and thankful. Um, in addition to that, uh, this week, we had a uh, donor say that they would match everything that comes in from today till Friday up to $200,000. So if you have the ability to, to be involved in this, if you have the opportunity to give this week towards Serve the World, Towards this project, um, it would, it's going to be double whatever you are able to do. And as you see on the slide, you can use the app there. You can go to Chapel Street uh, um, slash, or dot church and giving. Um, you can select Serve the World there. But all of those funds, whatever you're able to do this week, will be doubled. And we're praying that, that God would provide and that we would be able to help meet this need. Uh, this is, again very practical, tangible, frontline gospel work taking place. And, uh, and as a church, we're thankful to be a part of it. And we're thankful for all the ways that you um, support the ministries here at Chapel Street, whether it's our regular routine general fund that you all give to so generously uh, to make ministry happen here, or it's our missionaries serving across the world. Uh, we're so very, very grateful for that. Um, Actually, just, and this might not apply to you, but Doug and Carrie will be here in person in, in our second hour. They're actually in town right now, and so um, if you stick around you, and want to meet them, they will be here in, in the second hour. Um, are you the kind of person who 
makes bucket lists. Are you a bucket list person? If you don't know what the, a bucket list is, it's, it's a list of things that you would like to do or see or experience before you kick the bucket. Um, and I think that's where it comes from anyway. That's, that's my understanding. And so I was doing a little research this week. I was like, what, what, are, what are the common things that people have on their bucket list? And I was um, sort of surprised because some of it, some of it seemed far too um, ordinary, like didn't rise to the level of like a bucket list thing. Like one person had on their list, give blood. I was like, you can do that like it's today. Like, I, we, like that's available. We, we host, if that's you and you'd like to give blood uh, several times a year, Chapel Street hosts blood drives and you can participate. We can cross that off the list for you. Another person had finished a novel. I was like, <laughs> okay, like, then there's the, the, the people who go like crazy adventurous, right? So then on some people's bucket list, it said uh, complete a marathon. Um, some of you have checked that off. Skydive, swim with sharks, climb Mount Everest, which these all feel like things that are going to cause the bucket to be like, <laughs> like that, that, that's the reason for the bucket, I think. So I, I'm kind of in that like middle, like I want to, I would love someday to see the Northern Lights like in all their grandeur and glory. Like that's one of those things. Like I don't feel like I'm going to die doing that, but it's worth like getting out to experience it. Other people talk about like setting, uh, they want to set a Guinness World Record. Like I don't know about that or see the seven wonders of the world. But what is it that you, when you think about it, it's like, man, I would love to experience this. Before I go, I would, love, I would love to experience this thing or meet this person or go to this place. We, we're in our last week, as I said, leading up to Christmas, and we've been in this series entitled The Spirit of Christmas, where we've been looking at and acknowledging, recognizing the role of the Holy Spirit and all that is taking place in the events surrounding the incarnation, Christ taking on flesh. And I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but... But when you kind of approach the story with eyes to see or to recognize the Holy Spirit in all that is unfolding, and then you read these various passages in Matthew and Luke or in the Old Testament prophecies, you see that the Holy Spirit is, is all over this. He's everywhere you look. One such event is, involves, it happens shortly after the, life, or the birth of Jesus, and it involves a man by the name of Simeon. Uh, who has his own uh, bucket list moment, if you will, because it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. And so as he so frequently does, right, the Holy Spirit once again through Simeon points not only Simeon, but, but everyone within Simeon's hearing points them to Jesus, points them to the arrival of our salvation. The one who would be the Messiah, is, he's here. He's a child in the temple with Simeon. Simeon is holding him. He's looking at his parents. So for some context here, turn to uh, Luke chapter 2. This is part of what was read uh, in the lighting of the Advent candle this morning. So this is the text immediately following kind of the story of, of the shepherds going to visit Mary and Joseph to worship at the, 
side of Jesus. In verse 21 now, it says, When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. And to offer sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. And so, so at, when Jesus is eight days old, his Mary and Joseph did what was a part of their custom, a part of their law. They had Jesus circumcised. It was a symbol of the covenant among the Jewish people. And they named him Jesus in instructions with what the angel Gabriel had told them. Yahweh saves is his name. And then when Jesus was 40 days old, again, in alignment with their customs and the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph travel about five miles from Bethlehem into Jerusalem to visit the temple. And in the temple, they're going to do two things. They're going to offer sacrifice as part of a, a purification process um, that, that they would go through after giving birth. And then they're going to have their son, their firstborn son, dedicated to the Lord. And so this is what we see unfolding in the text here. They're, 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 they're doing everything there. And it's interesting because if you notice there, it said that they brought two pigeons to offer a sacrifice. So we get a window into kind of Mary and Joseph's status in this. Because the, the sacrifice required in this purification process was a, a, a blameless, perfect lamb from your herd. But if you didn't have that, if you couldn't afford that, then you would bring two turtle doves. So we under, this is a provision for the poor. And this is what Mary and Joseph bring. Unknowingly, they are holding the blameless, perfect lamb that would be offered as sacrifice for our sins later in his life. So this is back in Luke 2 now, picking it up in verse 25. They're in the temple. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The man was religious and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Again, that's a phrase that we've seen repeated in a number of these texts. And it's been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For your eyes have seen your salvation. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there's a lot that, that unfolds in this encounter with Mary and Joseph as Simeon sees Jesus. And I want to just kind of process this experience for him. And it begins really in a, a place of waiting. It, it begins in that sense of, of a promise not yet fulfilled. Like 
Most of us can relate at some level to that, that, that longing, the ache of waiting, right? Like just this week, I got my two oldest college girls home. Like that, that longing of like, I can't, we get to all be together. Like, we get there. When, I, when my girls were little, um, toy companies just are cruel, cruel people. And <laughs> the way they would package these gifts, if, and some of you can relate to this, this is your immediate reality, or it's soon to be, like they package it as if this little toy needs to survive like a level five tornado, right? And, and so your kids unwrap all these things and, and they're so eager to play with and dad, will you open this up for me? And then they just painstakingly watch me carve like each shoe for each doll out of this concrete block that they've <laughs> given me. And, it's, and you can just see like on their face, like it's the very picture of longing, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in, in his book, God is in the Manger, he writes this. He says, waiting is an art that our impatient age has forgotten. It wants to break open the ripe fruit when it is hardly finished planting the shoot. But all too often, the greedy eyes are only deceived. The fruit that seemed so precious is still green on the inside. And disrespected hands ungratefully toss aside what has so disappointed them. We live, in a, we live in an impatient culture, an impatient warning, and yet central to this entire experience, what Advent is intended to usher us into is this reminder, the experience of, of longing, the anticipation of those and waiting. Again, part of our Advent celebration is to remind us that we are a people in waiting too. We're a people between the Advents as we look forward to the second coming of Christ. And then Simeon, we get another example of this. And yet his waiting is, is unique. Look at what the text reveals to us about who Simeon is. It says that, that he is righteous and devout. Simeon was a man who, who sought to live in faithful obedience to God, not, not in perfection, not somebody who's getting it all right, or he had no need to look forward to or wait for the longing of, of one who would redeem. But he's living in right relationship with him. And again, this is, we see this repeated. This was said of Elizabeth and, and Zacharias. We see Mary and her faithfulness. And then it says that the Holy Spirit was on him. Again, repeated. Now this is, once again, this is prior to Pentecost. So in our, our minds, when we see this, we have to remind ourselves that, that the Holy Spirit's presence, this is a, an in indication, it's indicative of the fact that God is working here. Like this is, pay attention to this moment, right? Because God is doing something to advance his plan of salvation. And so he leads Simeon by his Holy Spirit into this place. And so in Simeon's life, right, we see the Holy Spirit leading and guiding him. He directs him. We see the Holy Spirit declare promises to him. We see that the Holy Spirit testifies to the truth of who Jesus is. And so we as followers of Jesus on this side of, of the cross, where we have this guarantee of the Spirit, who continues to do the very same things in, in us. Like he continues to lead and direct to, to declare promises and truth over us and to point us to Jesus. 
And then thirdly, we see that Simeon was, was in waiting. Again, verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. In verse 25, it said he was looking forward to the Lord's consolation. Simeon's waiting is an informed waiting. Right? Like when I was a kid and I went to King's Island and you waited in line for a ride, like you didn't know, is this 15 minutes or is this an hour and 15 minutes or 15 hours? You know, like now when you go to King's Island, right, they have this little sign there that says like 20 minutes out, 45 minutes out, whatever. Like the difference between informed and uninformed waiting and Simeon's waiting is an informed waiting. Simeon's entire life has the people of Israel have known oppression and conflict. The, the text here does not specify exactly how old Simeon is. That phrase that he says, you can, you can dismiss your servant in peace after he sees Jesus, implies that, that Simeon is likely uh, old enough that his expectation is after this event, he's not going to live very much longer. Church tradition uh, holds that Simeon is well over 100 years old. Typically, some say it like he was 113. Others suggest that he was 120. But even if he's, let's say, 70 years old, he would have been alive at the time that Pompey laid siege on Jerusalem. He would have been alive when 12 to 15,000 of his brothers died when Jerusalem fell. And so you can imagine Simeon just in his mind reciting like Isaiah 40 as he waits for the consolation of Israel in the midst of all this violence and oppression and grief and sorrow just running through his head time and time again. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And announce to her that her time of forced labor is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That prophecy in Isaiah that someday God is going to intervene on our behalf. And now here in this moment, right, the consolation of Israel is here. The very thing that you, you've waited your whole life for is now standing in front of you with his parents as a child in Jerusalem. That word consolation, it's, it's, the, it's a form of the Greek word paraclete. And if you've heard us talk about that before, um, the Apostle John uses that word paraclete uh, frequently to describe the Holy Spirit. So it means like comforter or counselor. Literally, the literal meaning of it is one called to the side of another. And it says, Israel's consolation is here. Simeon's informed waiting was over. The Holy Spirit leads him into the temple to meet for himself, to see with his own eyes Israel's consolation, their long-awaited hope. And Simeon sees Mary and Joseph as they're dedicating their son to God. And when they had finished, Simeon takes Jesus up into his arms. And then he just begins to recite over him these, these Old Testament promises and prophecies. You are the one we've waited for. The realization of Israel, their hope 
is now in the temple as a baby. Which leads us to this second aspect of, of, of Simeon's experience, and that's the promise. So there's the waiting, and then there's the realization of the promise. Again, back in, in Luke chapter 2, Simeon took, up, took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Like if you can just right, imagine for a moment somebody holding your child and speaking these words over them. I'm just trying to place myself in Mary and Joseph's shoes for a second to imagine. Like, I think as parents, sometimes we, we, we want to, we're hopefully cautious at times about kind of the expectations that we place on our kids. Uh, even as a, as a pastor, you know, I, my kids will joke with me sometimes about the experience of being a, a, a pastor's kids, but we've always really tried to be very cautious. And, and you guys have been so gracious that we didn't I never wanted my kids to feel like when they came into this place that they had to put this, this act on or, or, or behave a certain way or have everything put together because I just never wanted that to be their experience of church. And, and I don't think it has been in many ways. But imagine Mary and Joseph as they're hearing all of this said over their son. Imagine being there in that moment. And prior to this, right, you, you, you've already had shepherds show up at at the time of his birth and say we were told to come here by angels because they said today in the city of David a savior has been born for you who is the Messiah the Lord we saw Gabriel when when he showed up and and spoke to Mary and said that by that she's going to become pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit and he said you will conceive and give birth to a son and you'll name him Jesus and he will be great and he'll be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he's going to reign on his throne forever. And he's going to be called Holy and the Son of God. Like, just imagine all of this coming in you. And now you're standing in the temple. You're, you're there to dedicate your son. A perfect stranger comes up to you and asks to hold your baby. And he begins to cite references from the prophet Isaiah. One after another. And he's saying, this is who your son is. He, he's the promise that we have all waited for. And he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. The salvation that, that Simeon sees in the face of Jesus is that answer to the promise that God spoke to Abraham when he said, all nations will be blessed through your family. He's the light of revelation to the Gentiles. And again, our understanding now of what is unfolding here begins to expand to us. He, he, he's, the work that he's going to do, the salvation that he will be, is going to extend beyond the borders of and the people of Israel. This is not just what God is doing among the people of Israel. This is what God is doing in all those that would place their faith in Him. 
He's a light of revelation to us. And Simeon's prophecy as revealed by the Holy, the Holy Spirit, once again, we're getting this fuller understanding of who Jesus is and all that he's going to accomplish. God's plan isn't, isn't limited. This promise, it says, extends to every tribe, tongue, and nation. This is the, the heart behind, the passion behind our serve the world partner in, in Africa. Just that very word, hope. Like the, the, the work that they do and the, the inroad that God has given them has really been trauma. It's meeting people in trauma and speaking hope. And Israel at this point in time has been in conflict and wandering and, and distance, oppression. And now Simeon holds in his hands and he looks into the face of this child and he says, this is God's salvation. The promise, he's saying, is it's for you. It's, it's for each of us. It's the same promise that, that the shepherds heard when they said, today in, in Bethlehem is born for you a Savior, a Messiah. That your family, your neighbor, your neighbor across the globe. But then it's here in this text that we get, we get this hint at what salvation is going to cost, how it would be accomplished. And this is the third aspect here in, when Simeon mentions the piercing, now in, in verse 33. So he recites these references these prophecies from Isaiah when he says, My eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Simeon's words suddenly become far more sobering. Right? This blessing that he's speaking over Mary and Joseph becomes more troubling. Simeon seems to be preparing Mary for the reality that not everyone is going to see in Jesus what Simeon sees in Jesus. In fact, some will view him as a threat. Others as a heretic. He is a sign that will be opposed. He will cause the fall and rise of many in Israel. What started off with so much joy and hope now has this tinge of, of pain and grief. Some are going to hear Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom of God and, and they're going to respond and they're going to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Others will hear it and shout, crucify him. Contained in, in Simeon's words to Mary, although I think it would have been impossible for her to wrap her head around in, in this moment, there's this foreshadowing of the cross. A sword will pierce your soul, Mary. The joy that is Simeon's realization 
that his eyes have seen salvation is tempered with this look forward to how that salvation would be achieved and what it would cost. The infant in the manger is the Savior on the cross. In fact, I think we can't really fully celebrate Christmas if, if we fail to consider the cross. We don't fully understand the gift if we don't understand how much it would cost him. Simeon sees Jesus' ultimate purpose. A purpose that, that he speaks is going to come through suffering. But he's doing so in order to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. There is a, a piercing that has, that has to happen in our own hearts. We either, and I think this duality of, of responses that Simeon sort of tees up here to Mary and Joseph, it, it exists today. Right? We, we either hear this and we, we allow the message of Christ to, to pierce our own hearts to, to receive his salvation or we push against it. We either choose to, to follow ourselves as kings or we surrender to him. The uh, artist Rembrandt, at the, um, twice in his life, he painted this scene. He painted paintings focused on Simeon. The first painting was uh, when he was 25 years old. And as you can see here, he's, he has the temple in the background and there's this light shining on Simeon and Mary and Joseph and the child and the baby Jesus. And the, this, this painting reflects his ability, his, his capacity as an artist. All the detail and the perspective and, and everything that, that he wants to reveal about what he's capable of doing. In 1669, the year that he would pass away, he... He painted this scene again, and, and this time he painted it like this. It's just Simeon. Even the, 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 the last character is sort of in the shadows, holding the baby with his gaze fixed on him. I think Rembrandt's paintings are a reflection of his, his conviction. It's, one commentator wrote, Simeon is different in Rembrandt's paintings because Rembrandt is different. At the end of his life, he comes to understand that it's, his eyes are focused on his salvation. This Christmas, may we, like Simeon, fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith, who endured the cross, scorning its shame, so that, so that we might have eternal life in him. Would you pray with me? Father, we do just thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to be in community and to worship and, and Lord, to reflect on this encounter that Simeon had with you. An encounter that is full of hope and promise and, and the look forward that Israel's consolation had arrived. His eyes had seen your salvation. And yet there's also this glimpse of what that salvation would cost. And so, Jesus, we, we want to 
remember and celebrate your arrival. But we also want to understand and be thankful for and respond to the fact that you would ultimately go to the cross so that we might have eternal life in you. Lord, fix our eyes on you. Our eyes have seen your salvation. It's in your name we pray. Amen. For that, would you stand uh, with me to receive this morning's benediction? Um, if we can pray with you this morning, that is a privilege and an honor. Our prayer team is available. If you would like to give to the Serve the World offering or to the general fund, our generosity boxes are, are by our two side doors. We're so grateful for all the ways that you participate in, in the work of the ministry here. It means a ton to us. And if you have interest in questions about or would like to know about Alpha, we're going to head down the hall to the Red Room, and, um, and Susie will meet you there. It'll probably be about 10 minutes. Um, and so if you're even just thinking about it, I encourage you to, to swing in there and, and learn a little bit about what we're doing this January. Now receive this morning's benediction. Go now in the name of Jesus Christ, Israel's consolation and our salvation. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.